You know, I am hoping that this service is an important part of a wonderful weekend, Memorial Day weekend, for uh, everybody at our 95th Street campus, for those of you at Bolingbrook, love ya, for everybody at Hobson and at Wheaton, and, and welcome back to our series, our newer series last week was week one, called Crazy Love, this study of the heart of God as revealed in the story of Hosea. It was back uh, a long time ago, I was actually 14 years old, when I was invited to my brother-in-law's birthday party. He was turning 15 at the time, that's my wife's brother, and I was all about going, and I'll confess, it wasn't to be with my brother-in-law, it was to be with his sister, who was 13 at the time, and uh, just had won my heart. I was secretly, wildly in love, as much as a 14-year-old can be, with Jen already at that time. The problem is, she didn't care about me one iota, nothing. And so I had a, I had a mission, a challenge on my hand. I had to commit to the high calling of woo do you know who is? You know, who is when you strategically go to win the affections, the heart of another. And I was all set for this birthday party to be a strategic part of my woo initiative. I, I looked good. I remember putting on my bright polo shirt with the collar turned up. Remember those days, huh? I had my hair parted right down the middle, feathered on the side, plastered with hairspray all over. Uh, I, I remember using my dad's cologne. I thought, if I'm going to woo, i got to smell good. And so if a, if a little cologne is good, a lot, obviously. So I took a bath in that stuff. You know, I reeked. and Irresistible, I thought I was. Well, I went to the party, and Jen sat down at the table for the meal, and I quickly made a beeline for the seat directly across from her. And I was a little frustrated in that she seemed to be talking to everybody else. I wasn't getting the attention that was important until that moment. There was a moment when we both looked up and we caught eyes and I said, all right, if you're going to woo Jeff, give her that smile. And so I just kind of, with a twinkle in my eye, smiled at her and unfortunately that smile did not work as planned. Uh, You see, we had been eating corn on the cob and (laughs) I had braces at the time. And my wife will describe to you her disgust as she looked. I just had shredded corn dangling all over my mouth as I smiled. Jen claims that my woo initiative was set back two years with one smile, just like that. It may have been set back. But I was a tenacious young man. The quest to woo went on. And I wooed. I mean, I I was kind to her and I served her and I brought laughter and compassion. I wooed for three years until I got my first date. So I know a thing or two about woo. I wonder if you do. Have you ever wooed someone? Have you ever set your objective of winning the affections of someone? Maybe you have. Here's another question. Have you ever been wooed by someone else? Did someone ever set their eyes on you and pursue you? I can actually answer that second question with a yes. You have been wooed. Better, more clearly stated, you are being wooed right now by Almighty God. Maybe you've never thought of that before, but we're about to read from the book of Hosea that God is committing 
committed to alluring, attracting, wooing your affection. I love the book of Hosea because it's so shocking. It's telling us things about God and his heart that we would have never assumed otherwise. Back when Hosea wrote it, God sent this guy, Hosea, on a mission and said, Hosea, these people don't understand me. They think of me as distant and indifferent, emotionally detached. Hosea, it's your job to help them understand my, that's God speaking, God's emotions concerning them. And Hosea's like, all right, Lord, let's do this thing. And then God said, well, Hosea, it's going to be hard because your marriage or your failed marriage is going to be a tool I use to convey my heart to the people. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to marry Gomer. You're going to love her. She's going to be wonderful. Your hopes are going to be so high. And then she will dash your hopes by falling in love with another man, by having an adulterous affair, by leaving you. And you will be so crushed. Sure enough, Hosea was devastated in his pain. God says, now you know how I feel. My people have been unfaithful to me. They have chased after other lovers. And God used Hosea's pain to help him understand God's heart. You see, they were unfaithful? Yes, and we are too. When we fail to give God the devotion and the singular predominant affection that he is warranted. We're, we're depriving him of the love that he should have. And God says, you're, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> Last week's message was called the jealousy of God. And maybe you were surprised to discover that God has got a broken heart, that he aches with jealousy when we neglect him and love and pursue others more than he. Wow. Well, jealousy was shocking. This is shocking. Using this romantic motif to convey how God feels and how he operates, we discover here that God woos. The woo of God is today's title for this message. And so let's study it, shall we? We're uh, now in Hosea 2. going to be looking at verses uh, 14, 15, and 16. I start in verse 14. God speaking to Israel, his people, through the prophet Hosea. God says, I am now going to allure her. I will, I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Friends, this is good stuff. Let's spend some time meditating on these uh, words and understanding a, a Part of God's heart towards you, you probably did not anticipate. Let me highlight this. God says, I am now going to allure her. Her is Israel. He refers to Israel in the feminine as his bride here. It's God's people. And what God was doing then, he's still doing now. Alluring people. And yes, the word allure, this is a courtship activity. This is a romantic term. It means to entice to woo, to win the affection of, to pursue the heart of. Really? God's doing that? God's doing that to us. And there's a very important difference that I must point out. When I wooed Jen, I did so because Jen was woo-worthy. You know, she was stunning and wonderful and worthy of pursuit. The shocking thing about this is that God is alluring the 
unlovely. You know, the people of Israel are adulteresses at this point. They have turned their back on God. They have done the unthinkable. And so God, in his grace, is alluring and wooing people. Rightly, he should just abandon. That's important because you probably don't feel woo-worthy. I'm just guessing. But as you imagine God strategically moving, trying to win your affections, you may feel, oh, yeah, he doesn't want my affections. Why would he want my affections? And you're right. From our perspective, we're not that lovable. But that's the mystery of God's grace as revealed in the cross of Christ. You know, Jesus died for sinners, people who didn't deserve it. He gave his life to save their souls. That's the grace of God, and it's here as well. God is wooing the undeserving. Now, you may also struggle with, why is a sovereign God wooing? It just sounds beneath him. I mean, if he's the ultimate king of kings and he wants somebody, can't he just demand them, claim them, take them? You're right. He could, God could appear in the, if his sole objective was to get us to bow the knee to his kingship, his authority, he could appear in the sky in all majesty and with a thundering voice scream, I am real, everybody bow. And we would all, but that's not God's objective. He's not trying to get citizens submitting to his kingship as much as lovers. And when you, when you realize love is the game, you can't force love, can you? You know, the Lord understands the dynamics of the heart. Romance, he's like, yeah, I get it. You are made in my image. I understand heart dynamics. And so God says, in order for me to accomplish what I want, and that is people who adore me. Jesus said that the greatest commandment at all was that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so God says, if I'm going to get lovers, I got to allure. I, I can't take the bold, brash, intimidation approach. I got to take the subtle, reveal myself to people in just the right measure. Show my love in just the right way. Speak not too loudly, but just enough. And God says, trust me, I'm the master of the art of woo. And I know how to go about winning the heart's of people. Now, the other thing about woo, though, as good as God is, the nature of woo is it can be rejected. God's not going to force anyone to love him. And if you want to tell God, not interested, we all have that right. You say, how does God woo? That's the question. And the answer is here. What's so fun about this text is it lays out next four ways that God woos, just line by line. Here's the first way he woos. I will lead her into the wilderness. You know, I use the word privacy here. You know, what's kind of fun about this message is not only is it showing us how God woos us, but singles among us, this shows you how to woo as well. So you're kind of getting a, a double lesson in this message, shall we? And so you should know that privacy is an important part of wooing. You got to get them alone. You got to go out on a date you got to say, would you do dinner, just you and I? Would you take a walk in the park? That getting together alone and leaving the distractions of everyday life to be with somebody, that's an important part of woo, and God knows that. That's why God says, I will lead her 
into the wilderness. Now, this wilderness turns out to be a reference to the historic moment in the days of Moses when the Israelites were led out of Egypt, out of their slavery in Egypt, into the wilderness. I know God's thinking of that because in the next verse we'll read in a bit, he makes reference to Israel being young and coming out of the, the slavery in Egypt. And so God's saying, what I did back then in the days of Moses, I'm going to do again now in the days of Hosea, and I might add, and I'm going to do again in our day. God leads people into the wilderness. Now, when he did it with Israel, essentially God was saying, I'm going to take a bunch of escaped slaves, and I'm going to transform them into a nation unto God. And the Lord said, where should I do that? Where's the best place to build relationships? And God said, the desert. He brought, before he took Israel into the promised land uh, of Canaan, he, he had them leave Egypt and go to the wilderness where for 40 years they established relationship. God knew that the wilderness is a place where all the distractions that keep us from focusing on him are removed. And if you study Israel's history, it was romantic Really, in in the wilderness, God brought them to Mount Sinai and God spoke to them in romantic language. This is what he said to the Israelites. He said, I just rescued you out of Egypt. I carried you as on eagle's wings to this place, to myself. And if you will enter into a covenant with me, though all the world is mine, you will be to me my treasured possession." And there, the Israelites pledged fidelity. They had like a wedding covenant, if you will. And God pledged fidelity to them. And it was love there in the privacy of the wilderness. And friends, God today woos us by leading us into the wilderness, into solitude, into privacy. And you may say, there's no desert around here. You're right. So it's figurative for us, but it's solitude nonetheless. One of the places we must go by the leading of God is getting away privately with the Lord. Your wilderness may be your kitchen table with your Bible and a cup of coffee. God's leading you may be you setting your alarm 15 minutes early so you've got 15 minutes to be alone with the Lord every morning. Maybe God leading you is to turn off your radio in the car. And some of you are like, no, I can't have five minutes of silence in the car. God says, come on, make it five minutes of wilderness so you can pray. Think of me. Talk to me. Hear me. Maybe, Maybe God says, I want church to be a moment of wilderness for you. You've been going to church and just kind of sing whatever and talk whatever, and you're, you've been distracted. God says, focus your mind at church so this can be time with us together. Actually, throughout your day, you can have moments of acknowledgement of God. Throughout your day, as you're walking at work to the bathroom, you know, Lord, It's 30 seconds, but let's capture this as a wilderness moment. I'm going to turn my attention to your nearness and think of you just for a moment. Taking the trash out to the curb. Lord, can I capture this as a wilderness moment to be with you? Friends, God 
wants to lead you. Jesus saw this with his disciples. He, he looked at his disciples, and they were so busy, frantic in their past, uh, pace of life. Just go, 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 go. And Jesus said in John 6, 32, come away with me. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus said, get in the boat, guys. Let's go off to a solitary place alone to get some rest. And friends, God is still looking at you and your hecticness. And the Lord knows that busyness is the enemy of intimacy. And so God says, I'm going to woo you by leading you into solitude, into privacy, into wilderness moments with me, getting away from the chaos of your ordinary life so we can connect. I wonder, are you following that lead or ignoring it? So privacy, that's the first. Privacy and next poetry. Yeah. You want to woo somebody and you write them a poem. You in beautiful words convey your affection. And my wife has written me poems. I've never written her a po- I never will write her a poem. It's just not meant to be. So maybe you're not a poet. But friends, you've got to be a communicator if you want to woo. If you want to woo, you can't keep all of your emotions bottled up. You must courageously articulate your heart to your beloved, right? And God understands this, and God woos in this way. Look at this. A leader into the wilderness and what? Speak tenderly to her, my people, to you. God, you want to know what he does? He's in the business of speaking tenderly to you. The speak tenderly literally means to communicate of the heart. Friends, God is committed to get your attention, to communicate of his love to you. And you say, no, he's not. I don't hear God. You're right. None of us, at least I don't think, have heard him audibly. But he whispers nonetheless. He whispers using his Bible. I hope you realize this is a love letter to you. I know it's a book to Christians at large, but while that's true, it's also true to say God had you in mind. And I hope you know what it's like to read the Bible and all of a sudden have that, oh my God, you're you're like talking to me right now, aren't you? This is like for me, isn't it? Right now, you're wanting to convey your heart regarding me through this book. Friends, I enjoy those moments more and more these days. Is God speaking to you through his book? Not only this book, he he speaks tenderly to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, don't be freaked out, but God's Spirit puts thoughts in our mind. The scriptures are so clear of that. We, we suddenly have this thought about God and wonder, does he think about us in this way? And we need to realize that that's not our thought. That's God, by His Spirit, speaking to us. And if you learn the art, your day can be just filled with these moments of the Spirit of God speaking to you in tender ways. I I might add, the cross of Jesus Christ speaks tenderly of the love of God. Just pause to reflect on Him dying for you, saving your soul, because He loves you. The world speaks, if your eyes are open, God can speak through the world of his love for us. Uh, This day, I mean, glorious summer day. Did you pause 
to realize, oh my, the newness of a new season, the warmth, the trees full of leaves. This all speaks of God's renewing work in my life. Lord, this glorious summer day, you're speaking to me through the warm weather of your love for me. I, I saw uh, uh, recently a mother duck with her little ducklings waddling. And call me crazy. God spoke to me through the ducks. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm like, Lord, I'm like one of those little ducklings. And you're like that mother duck leading and protecting. Don't think I'm crazy. That's actually biblical imagery of God like a bird spreading her wings around her young. God wants to speak through these images. If your ears and eyes, I might add, are open, friends, all day can be God speaking tenderly to you. That's how he woos. So he woos through privacy, through poetry, through presence, Gifts, you should know this, by the way, if you're, uh, you know, engaged in the task of wooing somebody, the uh, boxes of candy, flowers, gold jewelry, presents have always and will always go a long way to wooing the affections of another. And God understands that, and he is in the business of giving. Look at this. There I will give her back her vineyards. Israel had lost her vineyards. The Assyrians, this massive empire, had stormed through the land, wiping out town after town and stealing the property of the people. And God was grieved at their loss. And God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you people by giving you back your vineyards. Friends, the, the generosity, the provision of God in your life is him wooing you. Now, it doesn't work sometimes because we don't recognize God as the giver of the good stuff we've got. We'll enjoy a delicious uh, meal and we'll have a great time out, you know, in some recreational pursuit. We never see God as the giver. And that's a problem that's not new to us. In fact, back in the days of Hosea, read this, same chapter, just a few verses earlier, God laments in Hosea 2, verse 8, She, Israel, doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has. God says, she doesn't see that it's me. I'm the one in love going here. And they're just eating it up, oblivious to the fact that I'm the giver and that it's all in love. You know, it's kind of a, reminds me of what we do. It's kind of a weird tradition in the Griffin family. My wife and I will frequently say to our kids, do you know why I just did that? Like yesterday, I made my kids pancakes. Do you know why I just made you pancakes? Or Jen will do all the laundry. Hey, by the way, your, your dressers are filled with clean clothes. Do you know why? I? And the kids go, because you love us, you know, and it's kind of this groan. But, but you know, I wonder if God's not going, hey, uh, that lunch you just enjoyed. Yeah, that was me. Do you know why? I gave you that lunch. The roof over your head. Do you know why you have the friendships, the the, the skills you have, the opportunities that have come your way? Do, Do you know why? Friends, if we can just see the love of God and all the provision we take in every day, we will see that God is wooing us. James 1 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father who loves us and is desiring to show his love in tangible expression. 
And so God says, here's how I'm moving. Uh, privacy, poetry, presence. Now, this one you didn't see coming. Problems. <laughs> Do you ever view problems as a great way to woo somebody? I'm going to start this date with a tank of gas empty so we run out on the road. You know, that'll be it. Maybe that would work. Who knows? But I actually, I don't know how well problems work in dating people. But I will tell you, God has mastered the art of using problems to draw people closer to himself. It's probably done in your life. I wonder, has a hard season ever been a time of you drawing closer to God? So many of us can relate to God working in that way. Look what the verse says, God speaking. And I will make the valley of Achor, by the way, Achor simply means trouble. (laughs) I'll make the valley of trouble a door of hope. God's saying, I will transform this place called the Valley of Trouble into a door of hope. Hope is where you are filled with joyful excitement and anticipation of good things to come. And God says, I love taking the Valley of Trouble. Anybody living in the Valley of Trouble these days? God says, I'm going to use that pain and turn it into an avenue to hope. We don't, you know, this is language that we struggle to understand because in Chicago everything's so flat. We have no topography here. But in a world with hills and valleys, they would have understood the notion of a valley being a door. Because in the ancient world, if you wanted to get to the other side of mountains, what is a valley? A valley is a low point between the mountains. And it's always the easiest way to pass through. And so they knew, yes, a valley is a door. And God says... I know this valley stinks. I know this valley is hard and it's trouble, but God says, I'm telling you, it can be an avenue into newness of life and hope. Friends, God wants to use your pain to draw you closer to him. And it works. I saw it working this Thursday. I asked my friend if I could share his story, and he courageously said, sure, go ahead. He's been attending our church, young man, for about a year and a half, has no church background, grew up with no religion taught. And so he's just been soaking up this God stuff at the Compass Church. And uh, everything was going great until a month ago in his life when uh, his relationship with his girlfriend, whom he adored, who he hoped to marry, Just nasty breakup. Kaboom. And as I got together this Thursday with him, I was worried about him. You know, I'm like, hey, how you doing? He said, well, in one way, I'm doing terrible. He goes, Jeff, this pain is killing me. He goes, this is the worst agony I have ever experienced in my life. But, I'm like, what? But, but, he goes, God, spiritually, I'm doing fantastic. I'm like, really? Tell me about that. He's like, well, Jeff, you've always been telling me I need to meet with God and like prayer and Bible study. No offense, but I haven't been doing it until now. He goes, every day I have been meeting with God. He's like, I have to, you know, to survive. See, that's the power of the Valley of Achor is it makes God, when things are going swimmingly, we can just ignore God. But when we're in pain, we need him. He goes on. He said, Jeff, I have been meeting with God every day. And he said, my Christianity is changing. (laughs) 
I'm like, you're what? And he's like, yeah, he's like, I, I thought I understood what this Christian thing was all about. I really did. I thought I got it. He goes, I didn't have a clue. He said, everything is becoming real to me. I'm meeting with God and connecting with him. He used worship as an example. He said, I, I never liked uh, the singing at church. Uh, he said, I couldn't understand why people at the Compass Church sing so many songs. He goes, I would come late just to avoid some of them. He said, he goes, but I get it. He, it was like he was telling me something I didn't know. Jeff, we're singing to God, he said. He said, and these songs are putting expression to my growing affection for God in ways that, because I'm not that articulate, and so they're helping me sing. He goes, I come early these days. I can't afford to miss one song because each one is a unique opportunity for me to connect with God in a remarkable way. I just smiled. I said, you're being wooed. He's like, what are you talking about? I go, buddy, you're living my sermon. You're in the Valley of Acor, and it's being transformed into a door of hope. And he's like, what do you mean? Well, I had to lay it out and explain it to him. And he goes, I'm being wooed. And I said, I might add, you're being wooed very effectively. The great wooer is winning your heart, my friend. Friends, God knows what he's doing. He invented romance. Matters of the heart. And he is committed to woo and win, and he'll use privacy and poetry and presence and even problems. And when his woo wins, what does it look like? This looks so fun. Let's take a look at these next verses. Verse 15 continues on into 16. Speaking of the reaction of the people, it says, There she, Israel, God's people, there she will sing. As in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. This is great stuff. So God is is looking back on the days of Israel's youth when He brought her out of Egypt when they were slaves being turned into a people of God. And the Lord's remembering their song in the desert. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute. I think I remember the desert time of Israel, and it wasn't all good. They were like worshiping idols of golden calf and stuff. You're right. There were some really bad moments in that desert time. But God said, bad moments aside, those were the glory days. Those were the days when you were falling in love with me for the first time. Those were the days when you understood song and singing to the Lord. I should point out that my old NIV here translates it sing. The new NIV, New International Version of the Bible, actually says there she will respond. The the, the Hebrew word means both, sing and respond, song of response. That this is how the people respond to the woo of God. When they realized you're wooing my heart, I responded by singing my praise to you. Isn't that beautiful? The, The explosive joy and delight in God. That's how wooed people connect with the Lord. But look at this other. In that day, declares the Lord, you'll call me my husband rather than my master. 
Now, it's never inappropriate to call God master. In fact, the term Lord means master. But if our connection to God is always and only, you're the authority and I'm the mere servant. If that's all it is, you're missing the heart of the love part of it. And God is saying here, listen, you people have only been relating to me as your master. I want to get the love in. I want you to see me as your lover. In fact, this husband language is captured in the New Testament where the church of Jesus Christ is described as the bride of Christ. God says, do you get the love? Friends, uh, I can't help but think of my friend, again, my brokenhearted friend. He, he's saying, I'm singing at church for the first time with a heart filled with joy and passion for God. And remember he said, my Christianity has changed? What he's getting at, using biblical language, is I'm no longer seeing God just as the boss. I'm seeing him as my lover. It's changing everything. Oh, the woo of God is profound in its impact when it's received. Now, I have to go back to the fact that you can reject the woo of God. God will not force anyone into his arms. And so I just have to ask, are you ignoring the woo of God? Are you leaning into the woo of God? I challenge you to give in to the woo of God. Say, God, do it. Privacy. Lead me into the wilderness this day, God. Prompt me, push me, nudge me, and I will go into a place of privacy to meet with you. Poetry. Are you saying, God, speak to me tenderly? I'm listening, Lord. In fact, this day I need to hear your voice reminding me of your love. Presence. Are you begging for presence? That's okay, you know. To say, Lord, bless me in big ways and small, and I will enjoy all of them acknowledging you and giving thanks to you as the giver, and I will see your love in the gift. And even problems. God, use my pain as a means to grow closer to you. Friends, lean into the woe. And the result will be you singing in the desert with a heart full like never before. The result will be you connecting with God in new ways. You're my master, yes, but you're my lover, God, as well. I pray his woo wins your heart. In fact, let me pray for that right now. God, I thank you. I'm thinking of my... Friends at 95th, at Bolingbrook, Wheaton, at Hobson. Woo them, Lord. And may they lean into your woo. And may these days, this summer, be a day of love being rekindled at new levels. Oh God, speak and lead them into the wilderness. And God, use problems and use presence but win the hearts of my friends like never before. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.